Now, if you know me at all, and even as you look at me now, you realize really quickly that I am not a hunter. I've only been hunting a couple of times in my life. Not once have I held a weapon. That'll tell you a little bit about my hunting experience. There's one particular story where I went along with a group of guys who would not let me hold a weapon. They gave me a camera, because that's what I do well. And they took me to a place that I'd never been to, nor could I find again, even on a map, if you asked me to. I remember going in this large vehicle. I'm sure it was a truck, because that's what you do. And we went through a big city, thinking, at least we'll have places to eat. We soon exited that big city, found our way to a much smaller place, and I hadn't seen a car for what seemed like days. They woke me the next morning, way too early. And if you're a hunter, you know this. I did not. Nobody warned me. They woke me way too early. I get in the truck with the other guys, and we begin our journey. Now, this piece of land we were on was cut into grids. The grid lines were the roads. The truck was on the roads, dropping guys off every now and then at the intersection because that's where the deer stands were. I learned this as I was going. I had no idea. They dropped me off at a place, and here's what they said, and I didn't know it was coming. They said, so what you're going to do is you're going to go a couple hundred yards down this road. You'll come to a barbed wire fence. When you get to the fence, go through it, climb over it, whatever you need to do. Go another couple hundred yards, and you'll come to the stand. Now, it was dark 30 in the morning, and I exited the vehicle, and they gave me a stick. Just in case is what they said. Here's a stick just in case. And I think, in case of what? What are you telling me is about to happen? Do I need to gnaw this into a spear? What needs to happen right now? So I began my journey as soon as the taillights were gone. And I immediately recognized that I was very much aware all of a sudden that I was acluophobic, which is to say acutely afraid of the dark because there was not a light to be found. I began my journey and quickly realized that I was not alone, but I couldn't see what it was. I had my stick. Thank goodness I had my stick. Just waving it around. I could hear them, but I couldn't see them, and I got to the fence, tried to go over it. That was a mistake. I went through it. That was a mistake too, but I made it. And as I got through, I turned around and saw something. It was a shape of something. I have no idea what it was. So I took my stick, held it up, and began to sing loudly, knowing that that would scare anything away. But I began to sing as loud as I could. Come to find out later, some of the guys at their own deer stand heard me. It's okay. Whatever that shape was stopped moving. I did not. I turned and took off for this deer stand that was going to be in the way at some point, I just knew. And when I arrived to the deer stand, you know what my thoughts were, right? There's a family of something living in this stand, and I'm fixing to walk in on it, and it's not going to be pretty. So I held my stick out, hit the door a few times, and listened for footsteps. Hearing nothing, I went in. I couldn't see anything, but I didn't hear anything, so I kept going. There's a chair in the middle of the room, so I take my stick and, and... Once I found it, I just kind of beat some things out of it, if there's anything there, and I had a seat. 
And again, the fear of darkness overtook me because I couldn't see my hand. I wasn't sure if I had become physically blind from all of the fear, if my body had responded in such a way that I was now blind, or if it was just that dark. And then something wonderful happened. The first flickerings of light began to happen. And I could see just a little bit. And I turned around and looked out the small window that was facing the the path that I had walked and realized that the truck that they dropped, they dropped me off right over there. It wasn't very far. It felt like an eternity. But I could see right where it was. And I knew that they were not worried about me. That's why they gave me a stick. I mean, I was just going right over there. That's a picture of where we're headed today. Nicodemus provides for us a picture of a path in darkness that leads to light. A path of darkness that leads to light. That's the theme of the entire book of John, if you look at it. The first chapter of John, these two verses are ones that we come across. Verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. John begins the book saying, I'm going to talk about darkness and I'm going to talk about light. And we know that coming into this story today. And from the reading that we just experienced, we know that Nicodemus came at night. Now, we don't know why he came at night. Maybe he was busy all day. Maybe as a leader of the Pharisees, there were some things that he just had to get done. But also, because we know that John gives us these pictures of darkness and light, that when things happen in the darkness, there is something to be concealed. And so I think John is letting us know, because he came at night, there's something to be concealed. And Nicodemus comes with some answers, or or rather some questions, And it seems throughout the Gospels, whenever people come to Jesus with questions, what does Jesus do? Is it a simple yes or no answer? No. No. He's not going to be that easy. Nor should he be. Now, one of the fun things that we get to experience in our youth ministry is trying to answer questions without ever saying yes or no. Trying to answer questions so that it leads them to further discovery. We get to work and be with those people who are in their stage of life are discovering their faith for themselves. And part of the way that we do that is by getting them beyond these initial stories that we all learn as children. Jesus is answering these questions and these statements from Nicodemus in much the same way. Jesus is the quintessential answer giver. And that's what he's doing with Nicodemus here. Now, in Nicodemus' experience, the things that he saw Jesus doing just did not make sense. These signs, these miracles, they didn't make sense because his experiences were speaking so loudly. Now, we know something about Nicodemus before we dive too far into it. We know that he's a leader of the Pharisees. We know that uh, he's part of the Sanhedrin, this elite group of 70 who were called to lead and guide. We know that this group was all about discrediting Jesus. We know that he was educated, that he was prominent, that he was successful, that he was experienced, that he's a person of... Rather significant means. He's well known. He's an interpreter of the Torah. He's one who has a significant level of control, both over his own life and of those around him. In other words, Nicodemus had it all set out. And then he comes in darkness, and so maybe we think, maybe Nicodemus does not have it all figured out. Maybe things aren't quite as put together as others might think. Does that sound familiar? 
We like to think we have things in order, don't we? I have things in my nice, neat little package. Part of my package is I'm not a hunter, and you know that. Nicodemus had a package, whatever that is, that people knew him by. And the things that he saw Jesus doing just did not make sense. Now, Nicodemus was smart. He began with compliments. Rabbi, you're a wonderful teacher. Compliments. We all enjoy those things, and it sets us up for what's to come, right? Kirk, I really like the way that you preach, but why do you look like that? Kirk, I really like the way that you're a good friend to all those people around you, but you're a terrible person. We start with the compliments in order to set up something, and we know it's coming. Nicodemus does the same thing just to break the ice, and then Jesus answers with something that seems very out of the blue. Now, in the translation and in the way that it was read, we heard Jesus say, you must be born again. Now, those words have become very well known. They've also become a weapon for some. And I think, for us, it's important to realize that those words, they mean something. And they mean something different. Your translation, if you look at the study notes in your Bible, perhaps, it might say born again, it might say born anew, it might say born from above. And the answer is yes. It's all of those. And so this morning, I'd like for us to think about saying it together, not physically, because that would overwhelm me, but if we were to think about this statement together as, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born anew from above. Let's combine those things together. The point is, just as with our physical birth, we had nothing to do with that, that we knew of. With our spiritual birth, we have nothing to do with that. It's coming from God. A free gift from God. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, as he's saying to us, you cannot appropriately understand the things you're seeing until you are born anew from above, until you start over. Jesus is introducing to Nicodemus a brand new kind of possibility. And he's introducing to us, I think, a brand new kind of possibility. We come to Jesus with how we think things ought to be, making sense of what's going on based on our experiences, what we have seen, what we have lived. Maybe the wind of the Spirit needs to blow through us once again to know Jesus more fully. And so immediately this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, what happens is the darkness is exposed pretty quickly. Jesus knows right where he's coming from, Nicodemus, and wants to offer him a different way of understanding. And he offers us the same thing. Our darkness has been exposed. We walk down that path, stick in hand, trying to fight off the enemy as best we can, praying for some sign that we are right where we are supposed to be. And then the brand new possibilities are opened up to us. And the light begins to break. Now the skeptic within all of us, I am one as well, might say, how can God do this? In my own experience with some difficult conversations that I've had, I often ask this question of myself, do I really think God cannot take someone who is entrenched in their own system of belief and thought and transform them. Do I really think God can't do that? 
Do I really think that God can't transform me? Am I so entrenched with the way things I with the way things are that I think they ought to be, that I'm not even willing to allow God to do something different, the chance to change me. Could it be that we, like Nicodemus, cannot understand things when they don't fit into the mold that we have set up for ourselves? Maybe our privilege, our successes, our experiences, our understanding of the way things are has blinded us, just as it blinded Nicodemus to God's transforming power. It seems that it's much easier for a prisoner or an addict or a prodigal who is stuck in a pig pen in some faraway country to see Jesus and understand what is happening than it is for someone like me who seemingly has it all together and has things in a nice neat little package. God help us all with this. Jesus says to Nicodemus, in effect, you've been given the sign, it's there in the Torah. You are a religious teacher and leader of this country. You should know this. You've just missed it. And then Jesus reminds him of a sign that he should be able to recall fairly easily. The sign of Moses holding the serpent up on a pole from Numbers. This was in a period when the Israelite people were again complaining against God, and so these poisonous serpents came through the people Moses had a bronze serpent put it on a pole and held it up, and they were all spared. Then Jesus points Nicodemus to what must happen to him. The Son of Man, this phrase that Jesus knows Nicodemus recognizes as the Messiah, must be lifted up on a pole, and we will be saved. And then, as we saw in the video of the scripture, They leave the house. The conversation is over. We don't see any more of Nicodemus at that point. And conversation turns to sermon, which is where Jesus gets going. And you know the verse, for God so loved the world. Now, in the video, we heard it said, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. And I would like to suggest that we add something to that. I'm not adding anything to scripture. Don't fire me just yet. What I'm suggesting is that that word so, for God so loved the world, that word so is referring back to the Son of Man being lifted up. In this way, God loved the world so much. And the reason I think we can say so much is because this is the first time we see the word agape, that unconditional, self-sacrificing love. So in this way, the Son of Man being lifted up, in this way, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. Nicodemus, you remember that pole that Moses had to lift up to save the people? In the same way, God sent his one and only son, the Son of Man, to be lifted up in order that you might believe. And the first flickers of something resembling light begin to come on for Nicodemus. And Jesus continues, and this lifted up son of man didn't come into the world so that some could believe and some couldn't. He he came here so that the world, even you, Nicodemus, could believe. And then he continues, and God is going to give people the right to choose, Nicodemus, whether they follow or not. And maybe we're like Nicodemus at this point, and our understanding of the word believe is a little bit different than maybe what Jesus was meaning 
On one level, to believe someone is to take what they're saying at face value, maybe with some evidence. If someone's explaining to you that you can be a rock climber, if someone's coming to me and says, you can be a rock climber, I say, go on to the next person. That's not going to happen. Not only am I afraid of the dark, heights are even worse. And just move on to someone else. But if they're coming to me and they're showing me pictures of them climbing the places that they go, I believe them that at some level it's a possibility, right? I believe you. But what if this same person takes me with them and we get out to their favorite climbing spot and we put all of the equipment on together, he checks all of my harnesses, he puts my safety line through his carabiner, all of a sudden things go from I believe you to I believe in you. We're a relationship now. I'm trusting you. If I fall, you've got me. Right? That's a different kind of believe. One person told me a story about this with Krispy Kreme donuts. I don't know when the last one you had was, but they're sinful. So they, they, they come with a whole case of Krispy Kreme donuts just out of the warmth. You know, the best time when the light's on. The best ones. And they began to describe these donuts using very colorful language and everything that made you really want to get a handful and just cram in as many as you could. And I believed him that they were good. And then you know what he did? He passed that box around and let a few people have one. I was nowhere near. I was very angry. But those people that actually got to touch and eat, they believed and they knew that he was right in his description. There's a difference, I think, and just believing something and believing in something. Now, we don't see any more of Nicodemus at this point. But we do see him again in the book of John. And we can see this path from darkness to light take shape. In chapter 7, we see Nicodemus speak on behalf of Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin. And then in John 19, do you remember where we see Nicodemus then? He's with Joseph of Arimathea. And what is he doing? He's holding what John tells us is a hundred pounds of burial spice in the middle of the day to bury Jesus. Nicodemus is no longer hiding in the dark. As the search was happening for those who were following Jesus, for the disciples to take care of them as well, he stood up with those who followed and helped take care of Jesus. Something has changed. And there's no more hiding from what the truth is for him. You know, sometimes we all go through those spells of darkness. This morning is not about running away from those dark moments. It's about listening. Looking up to the Son of Man who has been lifted up for us. Sometimes we need to walk through the darkness, face that fear, and know that light is there. Sometimes we need to say, I believe in you, Jesus. I trust in you that my safety line is through your carabiner. Maybe you find yourself today in the darkness. Maybe you have rediscovered light recently. Maybe for you there's just the first faint flickerings of light. This morning is about 
finding a way to trust in Jesus. And to truly believe. Will you pray with me?